Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the iniquities of the Father as we pick up in Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. If it weren't for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the world would be in a much greater mess than it is today because people are doing such absolutely foolish things in destroying their own children. Oh, how glorious it is that we can come to Jesus Christ and receive that beautiful work of his Holy Spirit and he can absolutely cleanse and clear And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And the old things are passed away and everything becomes new. And you can enter into a totally new, beautiful life in Christ. And only he can erase the psychic scars that so damage some of you from your childhood and the things that you experienced in childhood. There are many young adults today that cannot even remember years of their childhood because their minds have blocked them out. The relationship with the parents was just so off the wall that their minds just block out years of their childhood and and they can't even tell you about areas of their childhood because the, 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 the psychic wounds are so great that they just, they've had to build a wall and they just blocked it out and, and they have, it's just hid and it's, it's suppressed and, and lying dormant underneath there. And so it is true, it is tragically true that often the sins of the parents are visited upon the children, that they become the innocent victims of their parents' folly. But thank God there's always a way out. There's always, God has provided the way out through the blood of Jesus Christ that can wash and cleanse. But if it isn't there, then it'll go on and it passes on from generation to generation to generation. And you'll find that in in your psychology and in your sociological studies that that a person gets his role for parenthood from his parents And so if their dads were guilty of doing a a stupid thing, they'll usually follow that because that's the role model that they had. Unless Jesus Christ comes into their life, unless there comes that change through the power of the gospel, they follow the role model and it goes down from generation to generation to generation. And we see the degraded society around us today that is in such desperate need of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to deliver us out of the cesspool and the pits and to raise us up. Oh, how I thank God for the godly home in which I was raised. How I thank God that both of my parents were committed Christians on the list of blessings that God has given to me. I'll tell you, that's near the top of the list, that godly home that I had. How I thank God for it more and more, especially as I see people who 
My heart goes out to them. They've never had a chance to know what a real loving home is all about, a real godly home is all about. Moses made haste, and he bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. God passed by, declared his name, declared his glory, and Moses' man just got down on his face and began to worship God. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Now that's asking God an awful lot. Now, Lord, I've seen your glory. You've passed by me. You've declared it. Now, Lord, go ahead and pass among the people. Pardon their sin. And take us for your inheritance. Now, that's, that's the part that I have. Here, God, you can have me for your inheritance. Take the stiff-necked people for your inheritance. And yet, the Bible declares, Paul the Apostle prayed for the Ephesians that they might know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. What he is saying is, if you only knew how much God valued you. Now, now Moses is just saying that. Lord, take these people, put the value on them as your inheritance. If you only knew the high value God placed upon you, you'd be amazed if you knew how highly God prized you. He prized you so highly that he sent his son to die for your sins so that he could have you as his own. That's how highly God prizes you. He delivered up his own son for you because he prizes you that much. I cannot understand it. Don't ask me to explain it. Here is the place where I, as a devout Jew, though I'm not a Jew, but as a devout Jew, who just comes to that place where he bows his head and says nothing. When I think of how God has placed such a high value on my life, all I can do is just bow my head and worship in, in wonder and in awe that God should love me and care for me and place value in me so much that he would give his son for my redemption. Oh, how I thank God and praise God for the value that he's placed upon my life. And so the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And in all the people among whom thou art, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a awesome, the word terrible is an old English word, should be translated awesome thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Now, God is saying observe it, not just see it. There's a difference between seeing and observing. God isn't saying, see the things that I command you, but observe. That is, see and live in harmony with it. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, 
lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Now there are people that have difficulty with God demanding the extermination of the people within the land. No covenant was to be made with them. No peace treaties. Go in and utterly wipe them out. And with this, people have a great difficulty with God because of his orders to wipe them out, to exterminate them. And God is oftentimes faulted as people are arguing about God. God is faulted for the order of the extermination and not making covenants with these people. God ordered their idols to be destroyed, their groves to be cut down. What were they doing in their groves? What were they doing at the high places? How were they worshiping their gods? If you go into the Museum of Natural History in Jerusalem, and you go downstairs in one area, you will find diggings from the archaeologist of the pre-Israel culture from the Canaanite period. And in one of the cases, you will see many of the little gods that were representing Baal. And as you see these little gods that are representations or were representations to the people of Bel, you'll see that Bel's arms are always folded in the hands in an upright position like this. And they are made of iron, they are made of stone. And they would place these in the fire and heat them until they became the, the, until the iron became red hot. And then they would take their babies and place them in the arms of Bel and allow them to be burned to death as a sacrifice unto this little idol. Human sacrifice was commonly practiced as well as all kinds of licentious practices. Now, by the very nature of their worship, they would soon destroy themselves. They could not exist. No society can exist that is that corrupted. And so they are going to destroy themselves. But if they are allowed to make a covenant and live among the people, they will infect God's people with this same deadly corruption. So God is ordering their extermination in order to keep his own people protected from their madness. If we would, were to hire you here as a, as a lunchtime monitor for the school, and as you were out there watching these beautiful little children that we have here at our academy, and you were watching them playing out there in the yard and skipping and, and chasing around and all. And there would to, was to come upon the yard a dog foaming at the mouth, running around and snapping at the children. Would you be justified in going over and grabbing that dog and killing it? You bet your life you would, and I love dogs but the dog has rabies.
because it has rabies, it's going to die. The rabies are going to kill the dog. But if I don't kill it, that mad dog can actually kill a lot of these beautiful, innocent little children. If I do nothing to stop it, if I do nothing to hinder it, that little dog could actually kill a lot of the children on the playground, infect them so that they also would die. So I would be thoroughly justified in killing that dog so that it would not infect the innocent children and destroy them. And no one would really fault me for it because they know a rabid dog is going to die anyhow. You've got the same thing, only it isn't a dog, it's people. And they've got a deadly infection in their whole religious system. And God ordering their extermination, is they're going to die anyhow, they're going to destroy themselves. He's only protecting the innocent children that he's bringing in to inherit the land, his children. He's only watching over them. And thus God has given the order of extermination to protect his own innocent children. They're not to make any covenant because, verse 15, if you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a-whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one calls to you to eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods, thou shalt make thee no molten images. Now there are all kinds of molten images in the land of Canaan. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. The feast, now God lays out the various feasts that they were to have, the three feasts. The feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep, this is the feast of Passover. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. Verse 19, all that openeth the matrix is mine. So the firstborn of everything belongs to God of your cattle, ox, sheep, all of the firstborn males. But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. Now, your firstborn son, you had to redeem from God. He belonged to God automatically. You see, the firstborn son used to always be the priest of the house. He belonged to God. Uh, now that God has a priesthood through the tribe of Levi, if you want to keep your firstborn son, then you had to redeem him from God. Six days shalt thou work, but the seventh day shall be a day of rest, even in the harvest time and in the earing time. Thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, that is, the first fruits of the wheat harvest, in June, 50 days after Passover. After seven weeks after Passover, then the next day began Seven weeks would be 49 days. The next day, the 50th day, would begin the Passover, which was the first fruits, the winter wheat harvest, as they began to harvest it there in Israel in the first part of June. The feast of the... And then the, uh, there was sort of a thanksgiving uh, and, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. So that's sort of the equivalent to our Thanksgiving in, in the fall time of the year. Now three times in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. You know, it would be such a glorious thing if you had a, a religious nation. You know, a nation who, who was really 
committed unto God, it would be a glorious thing that, that, that three times a year all the men in the nation would have to come and stand before God in, in, in this time of worship and so forth. That would be absolutely glorious. And so three times a year they were to appear before God. The God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before thee, enlarge your borders, neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in a year. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Leaven is a type of sin. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left unto morning. The first of the first fruits of the land. Notice the first of the first fruits is what God demands from you. Not the, less, not the leftovers. Well, we'll see if we have enough for ourselves. And then if we have anything left, we'll give it to God. No way. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. It was a part of the practice of the land to increase fertility, they thought. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord for forty days and forty nights, and he did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the table the words of the Ten Commandments. You say, well, that's impossible. You can't go forty days and forty nights without food or water. That is very true. It is impossible if you're only dealing with natural things. But how big is your God? And God was able to sustain him without food, without water. And thus, though physically it is an impossibility, we are dealing with a God of miraculous power and God who can set aside certain laws of nature. Now, I don't recommend that you try to go 40 days and 40 nights without water or food. You can't go more than nine days Without water, you'll dehydrate and die. And yet Moses was able to only by the sustaining hand and power of God. It's a miracle that he could do it. I believe that it happened because the Bible declares that it happened, and I have no problem with a God who is able to work miracles. I would have problems with any God that couldn't work miracles. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the Mount, that Moses knew not that the skin of his face was shining while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all of the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation, and returned unto him. And Moses talked with them, and afterward all the children of Israel came near. And he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And when he would come out and speak with the children of Israel, that which was commanded, the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' faces was shining, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. So he would veil his face when he would come out and talk to the children of Israel because he would have this shining on his face. When he'd go before the Lord, he'd take the veil off. Now, 
Twice in the New Testament this veil is mentioned or in a couple of different ways. Number one, why the veil over the face of Moses? Because it was hard to look at his shining face? No. In Corinthians we are told that the reason for the veil over his face is so that they would not see the shining go away, fading. But the fact that the, the, the shine was fading away from his face was indicating the fact that the law that God was given was to fade away when God established the new covenant with man through Jesus Christ so that they would not see the fading away of the old covenant. His face was veiled. But Paul goes on to say, but even today their faces are still, still veiled when it comes to the word of God. They can't see the truth of God in Jesus Christ. They still have that veil over their face as God seeks to speak to them today and they cannot see that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah that God had promised to the nation Israel. And so the veil still over their eyes, not being able to behold the truth of Jesus Christ. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 34 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord fill your heart with praise and thanksgiving through the week that you might know God's work and God's victory in your life. May God help you to bring things into their proper perspective and the proper priorities that you might seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and that you might realize the power and the glory of the God that you serve in order that you might see His work in your life in a very real and beautiful way. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time. And I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. 
Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.